that is not just Ethan's kids' favorite intro video. That's mine, too. Uh, what I love about that, by the way, is a little tangent, is our creative team thought, how can we do a non-traditional Fruit of the Spirit intro that actually tells a story of the Fruit of the Spirit? And so if you have not caught the story yet, watch it several more times over the next couple of weeks, and you'll catch it. So anyway, I want to start today by giving greetings to three groups of people in particular. Um, first, those of you who are here in person because you do not own a cottage. You're my people. All right. Uh, second is the people who are joining us online from their cottage uh, because of the miracle of modern technology. And I'm assuming at least one person watching from a boat. So uh, if you're doing that, uh, welcome. Oh, that's neat. My entire screen went away, so I don't even have notes in front of me. So that's cool. Um, we'll figure that thing out. Um, and the third group of people that I want to welcome is kids. Uh, because this is a, 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 a family-style service that we are doing, uh, today we have all of the kids uh, in the room with us as well. And so I'm really thankful for you guys, um, partially because the message that we're talking about today is the idea of patience, right? And this is something that regardless of whether you're a kid um, or you're an adult, we all have to deal with this idea of patience in our lives. So this is what I want to do uh, to get us started for all of us. I want you to think about the last time someone tried your patience. Now, if they're next to you, don't elbow them, don't look at them, but think of the last time someone tried your patience. For me, that is literally every single day. And so I am the chief of all sinners when it comes to be in, being impatient. And I tend to wear impatience on my face so that everybody can see that I'm being impatient. Um, and yet we're in this series going through the fruit of the Spirit. And we're told that one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is being patient. In other words, growing in patience is an evidence of a life that's been set free by Jesus. And yet I am an immensely impatient person. You got that recent experience in your mind where you were impatient with someone? Uh, uh, let me give you a recent example for me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at Detroit Metro Airport. And, and if you're familiar with the McNamara Terminal there, you know that between Concourse A and Concourses B and C, there's this cool tunnel. It's this underground light show um, with moving sidewalks on both sides. And they play Motown in there, which is great. It's awesome. But there are two types of people who experience the tunnel in the McNamara Terminal. The first type is, is the type that's just soaking it all in, right? They are listening to the music. They're watching the lights. And they tend to get onto the moving sidewalk and they amble, right? They slowly wander kind of back and forth on the moving sidewalk. And you're supposed to stand on the right and walk on the left. But the ambling people enjoying the experience, they just want to wander back and forth. Across. That's the first type of person. And they are always right in front of the second type of person, which is me. I've been in that tunnel hundreds of times. Love Motown. Really big fan. Like the light show. I want to go home. By the time I'm in that tunnel, I know that I have to go down the moving sidewalk, up the escalator, over the bridge, down the stairs, into the sh bumpy shuttle to get to my car and then drive home. And always driving home from Detroit to Lansing feels like seven hours when you're at the end of a trip. I just want to go home, right? And so a couple weeks ago, I, I get down into the, the tunnel and it's almost empty. Like it's late at night. It was a late flight. And there's like no one there except for a few people. But I get onto the moving sidewalk and it turns out that the people on the moving sidewalk are amblers at this time of night. 
and they're in my way. And so I just, what I do is because I'm a really patient person, I just get closer and closer and closer with my rolling bag until I'm right behind them. And then I just stand there. And then I find out that there's another person in the tunnel that's walking, not on the sidewalk, but on the ground past us because they're going faster than we are. As I just stand there impatiently waiting for these people. So as soon as I get to the other side, as soon as I can break free, I break free, right? I go up the escalator. I go down the sidewalk. I go across the bridge. I go down the staircase waiting for my shuttle, which is not there. I got to wait. I got to wait. I got to wait. And then who shows up next to me? The people, the amblers, right? They end up there, right there, and we get on the same shuttle. And guess who gets dropped off first? I'll give you a hint, not me. <laughs> now, I share this story for one simple reason. I want you to know that today's message is one that I need. I am preaching to myself today, and you are listening in. Today, I wanna show you how I was stunned when I was studying the Bible about patience, preparing for this message, because I was stunned at how central to our faith patience is. Because it's actually attached to another biblical concept in a profound, profound way. Let's think about this for a second. It's all over the Bible, right? Um, we, we saw that the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Well, do you remember what it was? First, love, right? And then we know that loving is something we should do as a follower of Christ. We know for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that. We also know that you go to 1 Corinthians 13 where there's a definition of love, right? There's a whole chapter dedicated to love. And you know what the first three words are? Love is patient. We know that if we are going to love like Jesus, which is what our mission statement says here at RIV, we have to be patient because love is patient. And again and again and again, what we see in the Bible is that we are called to be patient. In the New Testament, we, we see that we are called as followers of Jesus to be patient people. And all of us, that makes sense to us. We all know that. We all know that I was in the wrong on the moving sidewalk. It's, it's a no-brainer. And yet for some reason, we still struggle with impatience. In fact, sometimes we find ourselves getting impatient with ourselves for not growing in patience. In fact, sometimes we get impatient with God that he is not transforming us and making us more into a patient person. So let's dive into this and let's start by asking the simple question, what is patience? Like from a biblical perspective, what is Patience. Well, the Bible has several words that are translated patient or patience, um, and we're just going to look at them really fast. In Hebrew, uh, which is the language that the Old Testament the Bible is written in, the root word for patient and patience is the word harach, and it means to make something long, to stretch something out. Let me give you a couple examples of this in the Old Testament. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's insight gives him patience. And his virtue is to overlook an offense. So what he's saying here is the more insight that you have, which obviously takes time, right? The more insight you have, the more patient you will be. And then what will you do? You will overlook an offense. You'll be able to let something go. Why? Because you're patient. And why are you patient? Because of your insight. And it takes a long time. It stretches you out. You begin to get some perspective that you didn't have before. Let's go a couple of verses earlier. Proverbs 14, 29 says, a patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. We know this, right? It makes sense. When you're patient, you're showing that you have some understanding. When you have a quick temper, you're showing that you're a fool. We know that. Couple verses, or a couple uh, books later in Ecclesiastes, it says, 
the end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. He says the end of a matter is better than the beginning, but you have to what, what? You have to wait to the end to see it, right? You have to be patient. And the thread through all those three little verses is something simple. Patience is about stretching something out. What does that mean? Patience requires perspective. Perspective that you are not living fundamentally in a tiny moment. You're living in a tiny moment that actually is part of a big, long timeline. Patience requires us to be able to step back from that and look at it over the course of the long haul. Okay, that's the Old Testament. Now let's jump to the New Testament. The New Testament is written primarily in Greek, um, and, and there's two Greek words uh, that are translated patient or patience. The first is macrothemia. Um, that's that one, which means long-suffering, and long-suffering means what? Suffering for a long time, right? Okay, that's the first word translated patience. They went ahead and used patience because we didn't want to see long-suffering. The second one is hippopameno, uh, which means endurance. And what is endurance? Well, ask any endurance racer. What is it? It is enduring. It is struggling. It is that grind of, of, of pushing through something all the way to the end. So I want you to hold on to the fact that patience in the Bible, in the New, Old Testament, it is to stretch something out. In the New Testament, it is suffering for a long time. It is enduring through the grind of something. That's what patience is. Now let's look at a couple verses in the New Testament. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. I actually like to call this a patience sandwich. Look at it, it's, it's there. Right in the middle is patient and affliction, right? You're being afflicted by something. You got the situation you got to be patient in. This all kind of works together. What do you start with in order to be patient in the situation? You rejoice in hope. Now that may seem crazy, but it's consistent. In the book of James, it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> so that the testing of your faith may develop perseverance and perseverance may finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The key of lacking in nothing is maturity. And the way you get that is you endure, you're patient, you stretch out and endure for a long time. So you rejoice. You consider the situation that you're in a joy. Why? Because you have hope. Because you've lifted your eyes from the situation to something else that gives you hope. Be patient in affliction, persistent in prayer. That's the second part of the sandwich. We're like, yo, I am not going to be able to be joyful in this situation. I can't lift my eyes up. So we are persistent in prayer. I wonder if this was all put together to give us a, a, a patience sandwich. Hold on to that. Because I'm going to read another passage that will rock your world if you actually get it. 2 Corinthians 1.6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, Paul writes. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering uh, that we suffer. What this verse does is it takes the situation that we're in that causes us impatient and it turns us inside out. It says our afflictions are afflictions for other people. 
When we are comforted, we are comforted for other people. What we, happen to, we tend to do is in our situations, we think about ourselves. But our afflictions, our comfort, our peace are actually for others. The verse before this gives Jesus as the example that his suffering was for us. It overflows to us. And so we're able to endure and be patient. Now hold on to that again. Because here's what I want to do. There is a a Bible commentator that took all of these words together and created a definition of patience for us, and you're not going to like it. So I just want to let let you know in advance, this is this Bible dictionary's definition of patience. Here it is. And if you need to look it up later to put it on Twitter and say how much you hated this definition, it's at riftchurch.com slash live. Okay, here it is. Patience is the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without becoming irritated and angry, or without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint, the ability to forbear under severe provocation, and the self-control that keeps one from acting rashly, even though suffering opposition or adversity. (laughs) That's pretty intense, isn't it? But that's the biblical definition of patience. As followers of Jesus, when we're called to be patient, we're called to be that because it is the core of being a loving person who loves like Jesus loves. And every example that we have of patience in the Bible, here's the crazy thing. Every example that we have, every command that we have is in excruciatingly difficult circumstances. Think about that. When people are being evil toward us, the hardest things that we face in life is when we're called to be patient, and yet I can't be patient in the minor inconvenience on the moving sidewalk in the McNamara Terminal. And here's why this is so important from a spiritual perspective. Because God is held up in the Bible as being a patient, long-suffering God toward us. Look at this verse in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. When I look at the evil in this world, I long for the day when it's over. Don't you? That day when Jesus comes to set everything back, that's what this verse, this is, a, this is all about Jesus' return. His promise that one day he will return, he will, he will take everything that he accomplished on the cross and he will apply it and, and, and there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain and Jesus will return. And I long for the day that, that would happen. But the reason that that hasn't happened yet is because God is being patient. He's being patient toward us. He's being patient to those who reject him. God's patience displays his power in restraint. It shows us the riches of his glory and mercy, and it shows us that he has a perspective that we don't have. There is an eternal sense in which some people will never turn to Jesus. But you know what they're going to get right now? Mercy and patience, all the way until the end. I love how Paul uh, personalizes this in 1 Timothy. He says, but I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, (laughs) 
Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Man, this rings true with me. Because Jesus has been so extraordinarily patient with me, the worst sinner, when it, especially when it comes to impatience and probably in a lot of other areas. And my prayer is that other people would gain hope out of how patient God has been toward me. And that he would know, that people would know that he is being patient toward them as well so that they may believe in Jesus, so they may gain eternal life. Now, I told you at the very beginning that something struck me about patience as I was studying this. That was stunning. And here it is. There is a critical linkage in the Bible between two concepts, patience and forgiveness. First, let's think about us. The shorter our patience is, the less likely we will be to forgive someone. And the example that we have is Jesus. What does he say? The extraordinary patience he gives us. The extreme patience and mercy he has toward us is just is poured out in, in the fact that he doesn't judge us instantly in our sin, but that he is patient with us. And, and, and as I began to study this, I found this parable that Jesus told that's all about forgiveness, but I didn't even realize until I read it again that it's also about patience. Let's look at this famous parable, Matthew 18. You're going to remember this one if you've been around the church. Then Peter approached Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven? You notice what he just did? He was impatient with Jesus to answer. So he answered. He said, how many times do I forgive someone? And before Jesus says anything, he's seven, right? He can't, he's, he's not even patient in his answer, right? And what does he say? He's seven. Did he just pull that out of thin air? No. The rabbis of that time said that you had to forgive somebody three times. They do the same thing to you three times. You had to forgive them. But the fourth time, all hell breaks loose. You can do whatever you want, right? He's just crazy. Like you could just go at him, right? On the fourth. You don't have to forgive him. But he was like, well, you know, this is Jesus I'm talking to. Maybe I should double it and add one. So he comes up with seven, really big, bigger than the rabbis would go. He, I, I think he, he, he's like, now, and I want you to think about this. Think about this for a second. Think about how extraordinarily difficult it would be to forgive someone seven times. Someone sins against you, and you forgive them. And then they sin against you in the same way, and you forgive them. And then they sin against you in the same way, and you forgive them. And then they sin against you in the same way. So you forgive them. And then they sin against you in the same way. You forgive them. And then, you know what they do? They sin against you in the same way. So you forgive them. And then they do it again. <laughs> they sin against you in the same way and you forgive them. Now, as painful as that was to listen to, it is more painful to do. So when this guy comes up with seven, Peter's like, hey, seven? That's actually a huge number. And we, if you've been around the church, you know Jesus' response. Jesus says, no, 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 not as many as seven, Jesus says, but 70 times seven. By the way, this is called sarcasm, which I, by the way, was shocked was not fruit of the Spirit. But Jesus is being sarcastic here. He's not saying that your new number is 490, Right? He's saying, never stop forgiving. He's saying, lose count. 
When someone sins against you over and over and over and over again, forgive them. Now, I have to stop for a second and have a little ADD moment because, um, because every time I talk about forgiveness, I get the same questions because people don't understand what forgiveness is. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not pretending that evil didn't take place. Forgiveness is not making excuses um, for other people's sins. It's not overlooking abuse. Forgiveness is not letting people walk over you. Um, forgiveness is not refusing to press charges when someone has done something illegal and you have to turn it over to the authorities. It does not mean you have to stay in relationship or friendship with that person. There's four different words translated forgiveness in the Bible. And they can be translated to cover, to lift and take away, to wipe clean, and to throw away. Now think of the beautiful picture of that. Someone sins against you, what do you do? You forgive. How? You go to the point of the hurt, you cover the offense, you take it away, you wipe it clean, you throw it away. You know, forgiveness is often more about you than that other person. It is unchaining yourself from that person's sin. Because they often run away and just keep doing their own thing. And then we stay chained to their sin because we won't forgive. So let's go back to Jesus and Peter. Jesus tells him, you got to not stop forgiving people. And I wonder if this stuck in Peter's mind because not very long after this, Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, you're going to do it today. And he's like, no, I'm not. He's like, you're going to do it three times today. And what did Jesus do after Peter forgave him three times? He forgave him. Now, Jesus, who always has a story to tell, has one. It's a doozy. He says, for this reason, so this is all about forgiveness, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. And since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Now, to put this in context, 10,000 denarii at that time, that would be the equivalent of millions of dollars today. And the average worker in this age would have made about 2,500 bucks a year in today's dollars. Okay, put this in context. He owes millions, he makes 2,500. And the legal remedy, if you didn't pay your debt, is you can be sold into slavery, you and your family, to work it off until, and so how long would that take him? Forever, right? And so remember, Jesus' whole story here is about forgiveness. He just already said that. So think for a second how much time it would have taken this guy to accumulate millions of dollars of debt like the credit cards he would have to max, the number of Teslas he would have to buy, the mansions he would have to outfit with gold toilets, right? It would take him a long time to accumulate that much stuff. And, and the picture here is the debt that is owed when we sin against another or we sin against God. This guy gets to a point where he has to pay the piper, right? So the servant does what any one of us would do in that situation or any one of us would do when we are caught in sin or our sin kind of collapses around us. He, he begs, he pleads, and he makes an impossible promise. Look at verse 26. It says, at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me. See it? Hold it. Be patient with me, and I will pay everything. What does he ask for? Patience. He says, I'm going to pay you back. I calculated to pay off a million dollars. You know how long it would take him? 400 years. If he was making 2,500 bucks, <laughs> there's no way this guy's paying it back. 
Like even without interest, this guy's not paying it back. It's like 400 years. It's impossible. Imagine being in his shoes. I mean, this is a parable. It's a made up story that Jesus made up to tell a story. But imagine this guy says, you got to come in and stand in line and pay your debts. And he lays awake in bed every night uh, leading up from the time he got the email to the time he has to stand before this guy, right? And he's not able to sleep. And he knows that this day is coming. It's on his calendar and he's freaking out and he can't sleep. And Jesus is using money as an illustration of sin. Sins that we commit toward others. Sins that we commit toward God. And imagine how much debt that would have accumulated. How much this guy would have had to sin to accumulate this much debt. Have you ever had the sins you committed against someone pile up until they collapsed in an avalanche? Have you ever had the sins you've committed against someone pile up until they just said, I can't take you anymore. That's this situation. And my guess is your response was, you begged, you pleaded, and you made impossible promises. Well, here's what happens to the dude. The master of the servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That's it. Like, this is like a complete and utter turn of events. He, he, he was facing imprisonment for him and his family. So everything he, he had being sold, he was facing maximum security prison, right? He was facing not just like probation, like this was his whole life. And he just says, please be patient with me. And the response is, okay. Like he, right, exactly. Your response is what? That's exactly. If you don't get this, the response is What? Like, how is this even the answer of the king? He walks into the room in bondage. He walks out completely free. Now remember, what is the king doing? He is bringing all of his accounts up to date with all of his servants, not just this one guy. There's a line of people out the door. And the first thing this dude does is he walks out the door and this is what he does. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which by the way is about 10 grand. That's four years of that's a lot of money. It's not millions of dollars, but it's a lot of money. And he grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. And this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging with him, be patient. Would you be patient with me? And I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him in prison until he could pay what was owed. <laughs> this guy owed this guy money. It was equivalent to 10 grand, right? Not nearly as big. He's asked for patience. And what does it say? But he wasn't willing. He grabs the dude by the neck. <laughs> he starts throttling him, choking him. And he's demanding what? Instant payment. He doesn't even give him a chance to pay him back. He's choking him. And the crazy part, he had every legal right to demand that. He could, that, that's legally okay. He could say, you have to pay me right now, just like the king could tell him, you have to pay me now. And the guy's like, well, I don't have that kind of cash on me. He can just have him thrown in jail. It's a legal response. But the tragic mistake that he's making is he's throttling this guy in front of a line of people that are going in to see the king. That's called foreshadowing. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and they went and reported to their master everything that happened. 
And then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. And now we're talking about not just like him and his family being enslaved and everything he owned being sold. He was now going to be tortured until he could pay it back. Would he have a chance to pay it back? No, because he was busy being tortured. Right? And then Jesus drops the bomb. And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also, my heavenly father will do to you. You. Unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Just sit with that for a second. Let the weight of that sit. The issue of forgiveness is like a spotlight on our messed up hearts. How often do we drop to our knees and ask God to forgive us? And then we turn right around and we don't give grace to the people in our lives. How often do we assume the best motives of ourselves and assume the worst motives in others. We ask God to do something we refuse to do. Now, don't forget these words, I, I think in context, these words are for believers. And I don't think that this means that when a, if a believer doesn't forgive, they won't be forgiven. Uh, in the sense that it means that they're gonna be thrown into hell. I think Jesus is giving us a beautiful word picture that's kind of hard. He says, they will be handed over to what? the torturers, to be tortured. Think about this. There, there have actually been studies done that a lack of forgiveness leads to anger, bitterness, unresolved issues, ulcers, high blood pressure, migraines, lower back pain, heart attack. Not that there's always, that's the reason for all of this, but those medical conditions have actually been linked to a lack of forgiveness that leads to anxiety, that leads to those things. Each and every day, we are faced with people and circumstances with the potential to get under our skin. Some of them are minor inconveniences, like ambling people on a moving sidewalk. And some of them rise to the level of affliction. And each of these people, from moving sidewalk to affliction, brings suffering into our lives. So each and every day, we have an opportunity set before us where the opportunity says to us, would you be patient with me? And we have two paths. We can be patient or we can be impatient. We can walk down the, the impatient road of bitterness and resentment and self-centered indignation. It's an easy path. It's a short path. We go to it quickly. It's why I'm so impatient. It's an easy path. The long path, the stretched out path, is the path of patience, paved with suffering for a long time. Ultimately, forgiving those who have sinned against us. Remember that verse from earlier? 2 Corinthians 
Look at this. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you the patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. This is the path that Jesus walked for us. It was actually the verse before this. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to read it. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflowed us, so also uh, with, um, from, through Christ our comfort overflows. Jesus was tortured. He was nailed to the cross after a sinless life. He was afflicted for our comfort and salvation. On the cross, he took all of our sins so he could become a suffering savior. And when we believe in him, we're able to lift our eyes from our present circumstances and patiently adore. Let's go back and look at the forgive or the patient sandwich, right? Right? You're facing affliction. What do you do? Rejoice. Call to mind that circumstance I had you think of at the beginning. That person that drives you to impatience, that causes you to be impatient, brings minor or major affliction to your life, choose to rejoice. How? In hope. Lifting your eyes to Jesus, looking to him, knowing that one day he's gonna set everything right, that the, the, the suffering that you're going through right now has an expiration date. It's just a, a blip on the map of all of eternity. You gain perspective in Jesus and then persist in prayer. Man, what would happen if people like me, every time they run into people on that moving sidewalk, would just start praying for those people? Would our heart change? When I just start looking at those people, looking at all the, and I just pray, I just pray that, man, I just pray that God would cause them to see the beauty in this light show and Motown music and would cause them to know that there's a creator that creates beautiful things. What if I'm in traffic and I pull into the left lane and some slow idiot pulls in front of me and what they deserve is to be run off the road into a fiery wreck What if I think to myself, man, what if they had a really bad day at work today? And I start praying for that person's situation, whatever it is that they're facing. I think the key to patience is joy. Because we have a hope that this little blip is just a blip on the map. And so when we persist in prayer, I think that is the key to us facing this affliction. So we're going to do it. I'm going to stop talking for a little bit, and I'm going to ask you to pray. You don't have to do it out loud. You don't have to do it with the person next to you. But I want you to pray for that person that causes you to be impatient. And guess what? You're not praying that you would be more patient. You're praying for that person. I want you to just take time, change your heart, pray for that person, rejoice in hope. And then I, the chief of all sinners... I'm going to close us in prayer. So go ahead. You got 30 seconds or so. Pray for that person.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the immeasurable amount of patience you've shown me. There are a number of times that I've tried you and disobeyed you and sinned against you, and yet you're patient with me. I just pray that that patience would translate. I pray that that would translate for all of us, that we would gain perspective. Help us to be people who are rejoicing in the hope that we have in Jesus. That when we face evil in our lives or evil in this world, that somehow we would be able to lift our eyes to you. And we just pray that we would be people who don't just rejoice in hope but persist in prayer. Make us praying people. And we just thank you that as followers of your son Jesus, we are destined to be like him. So we just pray that you would make us more patient and loving. And we pray all this, son, in your son's name. Amen.